Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. It is great to have you here again. Episode 19 of the Meeting of the Unknowing Minds podcast. It is incredible to have you here. It's been a busy week. It's a week that when we started out setting up the show for the week, I don't think any of us really thought that we would be talking about a couple of topics we're going to get to. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had some great shows. We had uh, Taja B for Bailey on a couple of weeks ago talking about her incredible group, her time in as Olympian, uh, her coaching stops along the way, Illinois and Texas. And then last week, uh, we had the director of the national director of sales, Mr. Mike Cunningham from Gill on as well. That was an incredible podcast. If you haven't listened to either one of them, go back, listen to them. They're absolutely hilarious. Um, and by the way, Mike, uh, I will tell you right now that a Troy Trojan may have a sword, but a Hawkeye is going to take out the Trojan and then the blaze dragon will definitely burn down that sword. So there'll be absolutely nothing there. So there you go. Enjoy that one right there. But uh, as always, I am your host, Matt Eschew, the head cross at UAB. Uh, looking forward to a phenomenal podcast here tonight. We've got some great topics. As we said, it's a little heavy to start than we normally like to do, but we're going to get into some stuff that's very, very important to us. Um, but without further ado, thank you for pulling uh, a chair up to the table Thank you for spending uh, the next 70, 80, 90 minutes with us, whatever we end up going with this kind of things. We truly appreciate your time. We truly uh, believe it's something that we need to, we honor. And uh, we try and at least put some good content out there for to have some discussions on so that you guys, uh, our listeners are able to hopefully facilitate more discussions. And if you have ideas, of course, always throw them back to us. So, but again, without further ado, let's get this thing rocking and rolling, pull a chair up to the table, go ahead and pop a top. Get some more sweet tea. You might need a lot more sweet tea. Maybe grab the gallon or a whole nother, you know, pot of coffee. Or if you got some a little on uh, a little on the on the rocks, go ahead and pour just a little extra. You might need that one tonight. Um, but we have an incredible guest for us. We're going to get to him in a second. He's an unbelievable coach um, and has done some great, great things in his quick uh, quick stint so far. A small stint at Oregon State. And I know he's going to be doing some tremendous things, but. Uh, as always, we've got uh, the gentleman who does our media, who does our introductions, who makes sure that we actually sound good, Mr. Darren Flowers down in the Rio Grande Valley. Darren, how you doing, buddy? I'm on the road again. Um, man, it got down to a cool, crisp 45 degrees this morning here in South Texas. So I didn't know what to do with myself. My kids actually had to wear pants. Did you did you bring out like hats and gloves or something, winter mittens or what? Oh yeah, everybody's got the the parkas, the the beanies. Man, it's winter winter wonderland down here on the palm trees. I love it. That's incredible. I tell you what, um, Barb, man, oh man, uh, we've got over uh, at VCU, Mr. Tom Sage. Tom, how we doing, sir? How's the new house? Uh, haven't moved in yet. Sixteenth, closed on the sixteenth. So staying with uh, relatives. Um, you know, it's it's going. I'll get that right, by the way. I keep asking you how the news house every week, and I'm like, you keep like, hey, Matt, it's not yet. It's not yet. Like, Matt, couple weeks. Couple weeks. Couple weeks. All right, we'll take that. Um, we've got up in uh, St. Louis. He might actually be sitting at 45 degrees for the high today. You never know what he's going to have. But uh, Mr. John Bell, John, how we doing? Doing well. It was, uh, yeah, 45 today. Rainy, blustery, normal Midwest day. So, uh, yeah, we were we were outside ye yesterday in practice, and it was uh, similar. But uh, no no hats, no gloves, no parkas. We're a little tougher than those South Texas kids, apparently. Man, those guys are soft. I'll admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, not too far to the east of him uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, um, we've got the, the gentleman who makes things happen quietly. The books does not, but everything else he does. Mr. Mike Erb, how are we doing, buddy? 
I'm good. I had to kind of do a mental picture of the Midwest to make sure that that East was correct. I, you know, just, just fact checking the, that I am in fact East of St. Louis, which is true, but I'm doing great. Um, I don't know what the weather was like outside today. Cause we were inside at our beautiful indoor, uh, bank 200 meter track facility. So, um, just have to keep you posted on what it's doing outside. <laughs> that was a recruiting plug, a recruiting plug. <laughs> Legal? We're not allowed to recruit by this, so I'm just that's just Satan facts. That's just facts with what we're doing. So, so Kyle, you guys pieced together that track comes out, bought it, bought a backdoor, probably black market deal, and then decided to put it together one by one out there. So, I think if not to get into the whole story, but it's my understanding that we, uh, I don't know that we ever paid for that track. I think that it ended up, you know, there was a flat 200 meter track in Gladstein's Fieldhouse for originally. And then that track was up at the whatever dome was in Indianapolis, uh, RCA dome. Does that sound right? Um, yeah, back in the day, they, uh, (laughs) they needed to store it somewhere. I think we said, we'll take it for like a dollar or rent it for a dollar or something. And we're still waiting for somebody to come pick it up. So, um, we lucked out on that one. Well, you got it. And it is a beautiful track. It's a fast track. I won't lie actually being, being from an athlete into couple years coaching as a volunteer coach at Iowa that is one of my favorite places to go it's just kind of a cool loud environment despite the fact you cannot move in between that track it is an incredible incredible place Uh, I got yelled at a few times for standing in lane six but you have to because it's either that or you're going to fall over into it that's exactly right yeah no it's a fun place to compete damn Hoosier uh, officials but you know that kind of stuff so but uh, our guest tonight uh, we are excited to have him we are honored to have him he is uh, an absolute legend in our sport unbelievably well respected no questions about it um collegially he was a what a nine-time all-american a pen relays mvp in 1992 trials olympic trials qualifier his coaching resume is unbelievably impressive with numerous all-americans pac-12 champs um and at the same time a, a coach as well a couple olympians shelby hulahan and amy hastings he is in his third coach am i right third year at oregon state fourth year Fourth year, I'm sorry. Yeah. Fourth year at Oregon State. They're currently his women are currently ranked 19th in the just released USTF CCCA poll. Um, but we have on with us the incredible Louis Quintana. Coach, how you doing, sir? I'm great. Um, I'm loving that you guys do this. This is uh, I've listened in on a, on a few of the podcasts. So one of my former graduate assistants, um, Rhonda Riley, was on this a few weeks ago. And Rhonda um, is an Oregon State grad. Mm-hmm. Um, she got her coaching start here at Oregon State. And Kelly Sullivan, the former coach, and I are pretty good friends. And so he called me and, gosh, what is it, the fall of 2004, Rhonda came and worked with, for me for a couple of years. Really prolific time at Arizona State at the time um, when she was there. So I tuned in, see what she had to say. She's awesome. But thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, you're right, and we're excited to have you. Might be excited just because, in case Rhonda listens, it's probably more excited to have you than we are Rhonda. Just throw a little bit right there, you know. But no, uh, Rhonda was incredible. That was great hearing about um, the females and coaching and her background, getting to where she is now, and she's doing an unbelievably incredible job here uh, at Duke University. So uh, big proud. Yeah, I I appreciate the fact that she she grilled us. She turned the oh. questions on us. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah, you had a soccer, your, the soccer coach on on that one as well, right? The UAB mm-hmm. soccer coach, yeah. yeah. Coach Erica, yep. They've got a game tonight against Georgia State. They're playing right now. Last I looked, they're tied at zeros, but uh, hopefully is. She's incredible. They both have just some incredible, incredible insights on how to coach, uh, how to build programs, how to do things like that. No, 
You're right. She grilled us. I felt like we, I mean, the whole script got flipped on us. The question. No. <laughs> you need to have her back. I think we need to get her back. <laughs> we had Tanja back as well. We're going to have some fun with this kind of stuff. No questions about that. Um, but as we mentioned, this is a little bit different of a podcast than we expected to be able to do. Um, it's a little heavier than and I think we were all actually expecting a little bit when we started out. But uh, so, so the first thing I want to get into actually is um, William and Mary. I think if some people remember, and you go back to doing this thing, uh, William and Mary, September 3rd, cut men's and women's gymnastics, men's and women's swimming and diving, and men's indoor and outdoor track and field. Okay. So uh, cut a good number of sports. I may be missing one. I apologize. No six were there, uh, six different sports. I think there's a seventh, and I apologize to the sport if I missed it. Um, and they cited um, budgetary reasons and COVID reasons, which tend, tended to be the MO, I think, of a lot of schools, as, as we saw programs from Akron to Central Michigan, and then all of a sudden Minnesota, others cut programs. Um, and there was such an uproar at the university. It was amazing. So if you followed it, you found that um, the former athletic director, Samantha Huge, um, she actually, what she had done was she found a strategic plan but she didn't tell anybody she did a strategic plan. And then she went ahead and presented it or let it leak. I don't know how this happened. I, I can't speak to that. But it pretty much said football and basketball is where your money is. 23 sports for William & Mary need to get cut down to something. And you need to make something happen. And, oh, by the way, don't worry. There will be no Title IX consequences. If you read through the articles, you will see that in his written verbatim. That's a little bit of an issue. Uh, it caused a stir amongst the faculty. And they went ahead and had uh, a one, one of the faculty members, and I cannot remember who it was, <clears throat> a vote of no confidence, believe it or not. They wrote a vote of no confidence, a letter to it, put it in the department. They had a lot of support with it and sent it forward. Uh, one, of the stat, one of the asks was, of course, that the athletic director, Samantha, uh, resign immediately. And as well, they reinstate all the sports. Well, uh, due to that letter and I think a couple other pushes, uh, the Samantha Huge, she ended up, uh, I think, Designing within the within the next 48 hours, which was great. Um, and then the, the funny thing is to get this going a little faster, um, the interim, who is actually Samantha's right-hand man and chief of staff, Jeremy Martin, um, takes over. And one thing we have said on this podcast, we've said on the podcast, and we've also said it, actually, I think we've said it more behind the scenes, is what would happen if uh, a women's team stood up and said, knock it off, stop cutting the men's programs. You know, and we've said this before, and I think we've all kind of wondered that question, what would happen? And so now you have William and Mary has come along and the women, 26 of the 40 women on the roster have signed a petition or not a petition, but a letter stating essentially that if they do not get, um, that if uh, essentially, if they don't bring back the sport of track and field, for men, the men's, and in, men's indoor and outdoor track and field, they won't compete this spring. You know, this winter into the spring, which will throw Title IX numbers off. I know uh, the gymnastics teams, or there's a lot of teams that are, are trying to do this with William & Mary, but I think the women of the of the tribe are doing an incredible, incredible thing, pushing this forward. And one of the biggest things I just read was that the interim AD, Jeremy Martin, again, the old AD's right-hand man, has said, hey, let's have a, um, a meeting, an urgent meeting. Well, if you read through the articles, the urgent meeting is four or five days later. It's not that afternoon. It's not the next day. It's four to five days later. So the women are saying, how can you have a meeting four to five days later if it's going to be that urgent? So they've actually denied the AD's request to 
do this. And it's something in my mind is incredible. I applaud them. I give them a lot of credit for doing this because now they've actually said, no, no, we don't want to talk with AD. Forget that. Your ship has sailed, especially the interim. We want to talk to the president and tell us exactly why this happened because the president Rose signed off on this kind of stuff. So uh, gentlemen, this is, this is a, I think a very bold move. Uh, we won't read the whole letter. If you want to save tribe, uh, I think it's what is, I'm going to look it up real quick to make sure I get this correct. If you want to read it, please do. Save Tribe Track is the Instagram site that's been on there. We've got, there's over 1,200 likes to this thing. Um, and it talks about the reasons of, hey, Title IX is not a reason just to be cutting sports willy-nilly, and especially men's sports, and standing up for what they believe in. So I'm very impressed with what they're doing. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm rooting for them to see if they can bring something back, because I hope they do. Well, I think it's interesting, even with the, a lot of the, social unrest and whatnot that's been going on continues to go on now. And you see a lot of athletes that have a lot to say about that as, as they should. Um, you know, when that kind of stuff started happening over the summertime, you saw several uh, groups of athletes of various sports essentially say the same thing. You know, we're going to, now that there's, there was an opt out option for them due to COVID. So, you know, you see on one hand administration using COVID to, um, arguably using COVID to cut programs. And then, but the athletes, if they're paying attention, realize they don't have to do anything either. And if they wanted to opt out, there wouldn't be any penalty for that. And so I think you saw some of them organize to say, listen, until we get a, uh, a clear mission statement on, um, you know, racial, racial inequalities or what we're doing to promote those sorts of things and, um, and, and be on the right side of that, that we aren't going to compete either. And I, I know I saw several letters to that effect. Um, so I'm curious, I'm really interested. It's, I've always been a proponent or always just in a thought experiment. Um, Tom and I have talked about this a couple of times where what happens when a group of athletes who are not professionals, who are not really being paid other than that, you know, uh, uh, scholarship say, you know what, we're, you know, again, the thought experiment that we used was the final four. If you really wanted to make an impact on whatever your cause was as an athlete and you got down to the championship basketball game and you've got literally billions of dollars on the line from advertisers and everything else right and you could organize 30 guys what's there 15 15 athletes per team yep. to go through the warm-up to you know be all do all their pre-game interviews and then when it comes time to call those starting five on the court they go yeah we're good we're gonna we're, we're going back to the locker room now what now what and what happens to them what's the what's the penalty to those to those individuals really what can we do? Not much. But well, I think you saw a little bit of that in the NBA this year with the Milwaukee Bucks and, and obviously the WNBA and I think a lot of other sports following suit. I know John Bell was talking about that not too long ago. I mean, it was a hugely successful thing. Yeah, I know it, it, it is. And it, it's <clears throat> I think, you know, it's uh, it, it's unique to the time we're in. I listen to a podcast uh, totally off, you know, off the topic. Uh, this is a David Axelrod podcast, uh, but he had Bob Costas on, and, and I, you know anybody that follows sports probably knows Bob Costas and, and, and the work he's done with you know NBC and the Olympics, and he's now no longer works for NBC but uh, works for CNN, kind of doing uh, more I guess political commentary and, and, and as it relates to sports. And and his he talked a little bit about the Milwaukee Bucks and, and what they did this summer and uh, you know what the NBA has done and and. You know, it's very fascinating to me because it's a it's a very situational 
what we're going through is very situational in, in, in the terms of the times, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, in that example, what, what, what would happen and how easy would it be? I don't think it'd be easy at all for, for two NCAA basketball teams to walk off the court during the final four with a packed house, you know, 70,000 people in these big arenas for the final four. That thought be, experiment. Thought it, experiment. It, that it, was, is a right? thought, it was really, really hard. Whereas yeah. what the Milwaukee Bucks did, again, they're professional athletes, but they're also in a bubble, right? Where there's no fans. And so it, it, it is a little bit easier to, to do that, not to take away from what they did because I'm fully support what they, what they did and what, the, what their message is. Um, but it is, uh, you know, what, what really getting back to the original point here, William and Mary, what, what their women are you know, standing up for and what they're saying is, I don't, I don't know if that's ever been done before, you know, in, in all of, in all the programs in, in recent memory that have been cut, I don't know if this has ever been done before. And so what, what do you do? You know, what is a pro, what does a, what does a university president say when they, they have a, a, a team saying, yeah, we're not going to compete because of some decisions that you made. And Oh, by the way, that we're now going to be in a federal violation <laughs> of a federal law. Like that's a man. I don't, I don't know what to think about, about this. I think it's, well, it's incredibly brave on their part for sure. Oh that, yeah, hundred percent. And I, I, I support that. I, I think it's, you know, sometimes doing what's right is hard. I mean, a lot of times doing what's right is really, really hard and, and kudos to those women for, for taking that stand and, and, and also understanding it's not, it's not necessarily their place to do that. They, because I, I do feel passionately about this too. And I think we talked a little bit about this. Maybe we talked about it offline. You know, women have, have had to fight so hard for their opportunities to begin with in sport. Um, and we shouldn't, as men, we shouldn't be putting that. It's definitely not their responsibility to stick up for the men's program. Um, you know, they've had to fight for every opportunity that they've get, that they've been, you know, that they've earned. Uh, and they they still don't have the opportunities that they deserve. Um, and, and for them to 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 burden this as well, uh, at least at William and Mary, I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, it really is for what those women are doing. Yeah, I mean, no questions about that. The um, I actually want to step back real quick, but for two seconds, I think after the Bucks did it, the fun thing, or not fun thing, but the incredible thing for me to see, of course, being a Milwaukee guy, and you know, Tom's from the same area, literally the same high schools uh, as we're together, but we saw uh, the Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers quickly picked that up, and then before you knew it, the Brewers had actually pulled out of their, their game that series that night as well, um, and no, it's not again, there's not 70,000, but another pro team doing the same things. And then you saw teams quickly, quickly doing that and going about it. Um, but you're right. It's an incredibly brave thing. It's something that I'm, I mean, I was in the sixties and seventies. We all know that. I didn't see this kind of stuff happening. I didn't see protests and stuff happen. And not even the eighties and nineties did I even hear about this kind of stuff as much as I've researched sport. So it's an, it's amazing. It really is. And, and gosh, if we can do anything to help out the, you know, the tribe women help, I'm up. Let me know what we can do. There's no questions about that one. Um, but the other, the other big topic that we have uh, that has come across the wire pretty quickly this last couple of days is, um, I don't know. It, I don't know the way to put it, but UMKC, the University of Missouri at Kansas City, the Roos, which actually I think is one of the coolest nicknames in, in all of sports, the Kangaroos. I think it's kind of fun. Um, but they actually did something that is not kind of fun and not kind of cool by any means. They put a press release out saying that they are discontinuing the sports of golf and men's and women's cross country and track and field until the end of April. Okay. 
Well, hell, if you can't read through the fine line, it pretty much says we just cut all, what was it, all seven sports in total, okay? Uh, eight sports, actually, men's, women's golf, and then the women, men's, women's cross country, indoor and outdoor track and field teams. That's technically eight sports in the eyes of the NCAA, but we discontinued them till the end of the year, okay? Which I read that, and my first thought was, shit, we're doing this again? Like, here we go again. We just did this with Minnesota. We just did this with women. We've done it at Central Michigan and Akron and other places. Like, we've seen all this happen. Like, are we going down the same road? And then all of a sudden, some other stuff came to light. And I'm, we're not going to spend a, a great deal of time on this because, of course, Coach Quintana is, is the star tonight. We want to get to him here in a second. But I think it needs to come up that we have found out through recruiting, through talking to people, through things in general, that it was really done in a way that – Unbelievably distasteful is the best way I can put it. And come to find out that the, the coaching staff's already been fired. I'm going to say the coaching staff's been fired. They've been released. The coach, the kids are pretty much, hey, if you need your scholarship, you know, we'll honor it. If not, go ahead and leave. You can transfer willy-nilly, have at it. We think we're going to bring the program back at the end of the year, or at least we're going to try to. If anybody fires the whole coaching staff and then decides, hey, guess what? We're also going to uh, just let the athletes go and they're going to transfer out. They're not bringing programs back. The coaching staff was doing a very solid job. They weren't a bad program. They've done some good things. They've had some incredible athletes, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Courtney Ferricks, and I think I may have gotten her last name wrong. Courtney, I apologize. But, I mean, came from UMKC. They came out of there. They've had a good program over the years, something very respectable. The coaches have been good people. Um, I know they're in the same conference as Darren, um, and I don't know if they did it to – you know, to move back to the Summit League and go back there again, if they did it because they weren't getting enough money in the whack. I don't know what they did this for, but – the, the fact of the matter remains, they discontinued golf, men's, women's, cross country and track going, but they hid behind it in a press release and went ahead and fired everybody else. Like how it's almost cowardly, isn't it? Well, you know, Matt, there's a couple, there's a couple interesting things here is that, you know, just talking to some of my friends and colleagues and, you know, they, they, uh, they, they're spending about $600,000 right now for, uh, for the, a staff of four for basketball, you know, and uh, they had to honor a contract from a coach that left that was about 270,000. Well, coincidentally, they cut that amount from the budget a year prior from track. So, you know, you're talking about covering your losses through track and field budgets. And then, you know, they've, they've gone through a big overhaul with like branding and things like that. And you've seen that in their logo and, and everything. Well, there, there was a private consultant that they brought in from the outside that they were paying over a hundred grand to, to do all that for the last two years, you know? So uh, it's just like with university of Minnesota and you talk about like mismanagement and things like that. And, yep. and it just seems like track and cross country and some of these other Olympic sports are at the brunt of those decisions. Yeah, I think, I think it's unfortunate, you know, it's, um, you know, again, it, it's, it's, we have a problem. In, in, in intercollegiate athletics. I, I don't, I don't, obviously, yeah, we get, we're track coaches or cross country coaches. We can speak specific, specifically to our sport and, and the pluses and minuses of, of our sport. But ultimately this is a problem with intercollegiate athletics. Uh, you know, we had Gary Wilson on a couple of weeks ago and, and I'll just go back to, we have a priority problem. You know, uh, uh, you know, when, when we can't, when we have to, when everybody has to have the, the cherry wood lockers and the iPads and, uh, you know, the, everybody's got to have, you know, all the, the gadgets and I don't even know what everybody needs anymore. I'm just happy with the t-shirt at this point, but you know, it, it, 
it, it's it's a, it's an arms race, right? It's it's an arms race in intercollegiate athletics, and, and it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for 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 cross country. It's not sustainable for track and field, and you know, is it sustainable for football and, and for basketball? Maybe I I don't know. Um, you know, maybe it is. I, who knows? But it, there's more to the intercollegiate athletic experience than football and basketball, and and it's. And I, I really, I get upset at this one. You know, I, I got upset at Minnesota and I've been upset at all of them, but this one really primarily because we recruit against UMKC a lot. I know the coaches there. I, they're good, they're good people. And you're right. Courtney Freericks, who is, Oh, by the way, the American record holder in the steeplechase and a world championship silver medalist. So she, it's not like she's a bad athlete. You know, she was pretty good. Um, you know, her decision, her college decision came down to St. Louis University and, and UMKC. And I mean, I've got a funny story on how I lost her uh, to, to UMKC, uh, <laughs> but uh, we won't get it. We won't get into that one. Uh, but, uh, you know, at what point, you know, I, I just I just get really frustrated with this idea that they suspended the program. And 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 quite frankly, I think it's chicken shit that you say you, you suspended the program with hopes of bringing it back, but yet you fire the staff. Every single one of your kids is in the portal. What, what program are you going to, to bring back? You're not going to have a program to bring back the program. Well, they just, they just ruined any future. Yeah. They ruined any future program that they would have. I mean, yeah. who, who's going to, who's going to want to be a part of an organization that they, that they do it, things like that. And then in the, in the announcement, they don't even mention that the staff was let go. Right. And, and so I just, you know, and, and but I understand it. I mean, I, I on one hand, I understand why why you would say that. I mean, you don't want, and this is why I call it chicken shit, is because you you don't want to have the you don't want to feel the brunt of, of 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 what Mark Coyle just went through at Minnesota, right? I mean, to sit here and say, well, we have a seventy five million dollar deficit, at, you know, at the University of Minnesota, and then you get on this board of regents meeting, and and it comes out that you know by cutting. Uh, track and field and, and gymnastics and, and, and tennis, they save $1.6 million out of a $75 million deficit and you get laughed at. I mean, come on. I mean, no AD wants to be laughed at. And, and so I get it. I, I understand it. I mean, I understand the, the language. I understand what they're saying, but I, I mean, come on, let's, let's call a spade a spade. They dropped the program and that's, that's it. They, they dropped the program. It's another, it's another one, another, another one bites the dust. Yeah. Yeah. I think before I even got on here, you guys were maybe talking a little bit about just kind of reimagining how we do our sport, reimagining how we compete, how, how many times we've been at the convention. And it, it seems like, um, and I've always been kind of a fly on the wall at a lot of these, you know, conversations, like even in the power five conversation when I was at Arizona state in these, these rooms and people become very interested in, in what, is beneficial to, for their program. And I think that, you know, I've always been pretty vocal, like at least in my sort of footprint of, of the world here about um, reimagining how we compete, you know, why, why do I have to spend um, $35,000 to fly to Long Beach for four days to try to get two people to qualify for regionals? I mean, let's be realistic here. You know I mean? At the end of the day, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't we be better um, with the money that we've put into our own facilities to start hosting meets? And because of COVID, they've, you know, restructured how, what constitutes a meet, right? So you can only have, you can have like a minimum of 10 events and it's still a counter meet. 
I've been arguing this for years. Why can't we have meets where we go to go somewhere and we're scoring this thing? People are going to be excited about it, but you're also you're also going to be like, okay, let's go to Oregon State. You know, like let's talk about the Northwest here for a second. We got a plenty of good teams here. Um, you know, Hayward Field. You know, we talk about the egregious spending of collegiate sports. I mean, you know, I could go I could go on and on about what they're doing there, but. Um, and we could talk about that at some point, but, you know, early April, I could be like, okay, you know, um, you know, we're going to have 10 event meet. We're going to put on a, a 90 minute, two hour window, make it exciting. You know, we're going to really do some things to like bring the affinity of my community in and showcase my athletes, but also have a really fun competition. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to happen because of that? People are going to still freaking qualify. Yep. People are still going to go to the regional meet. We don't have standards. You know what I mean? So like you, you're top 48, you're top 48. And you know, we can talk all all we want about, you know, weather being what it is, where it's at. You know, I went to Villanova on the East coast. We competed sort of regionally too. And and, and if you still want to go, it's not like we want to kill Mount Sac. It's like, we don't, we don't want to kill Penn relays. We don't want to kill Drake or Florida relays. Some of these like meets have been going on for a long time. They can continue to do that. And that's great. But to have an opportunity to, reimagine what we're doing. We have to, like, I've got to be able to go to my athletic director and go, you know, I got to, I got to have some balls, man. I got to stand up and say, this is what's going to help our sport. This, we could actually draw some, you know, maybe we're at least making our budget, right? We're just going to make our budget every year because we're hosting meets and we're doing it in a real creative way. I mean, how that, that, that should go over well, you know, cause well, most it's athletic like, it's like, uh, what what Mike's talked about multiple times on here, having a win loss record, you know, like a regular season win loss record, to me that makes our sport more relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look back, and I mean, I, I know, I know there are probably a cohort of coaches that are against that because then they have to be held accountable for, you know, how good or bad their teams are. But I think that's ultimately what's going to help bring relevance to our sport. Right. You know. You we, know? We- I, I kind of came up with a, a, an additional layer of what the benefits of these team competitions that were scored that mattered that winners and losers could be. And that was talking with coach Helmer and learning that we may have to just by default score some meets this, this winter uh, indoors with big 10 only competition, but we've got a group of athletes right now who are very, very vocal and disappointed in the fact that they can't get together as a whole group and really come together as a team. Because we can't, you know what I mean? Like you're not allowed to go hang out with 30 people in a space at a time right now. And that really, I wouldn't have guessed it personally, but that has really, really affected them. And so my additional point to where this would be beneficial is you've got a group of kids that are starved for a team bonding experience, right? And what a better team bonding experience to say, listen, everybody's competing and we're going to, we've all got to get together to try to win this thing. Right. And it's not like, well, we're just hoping this guy qualifies or we're just hoping to get a PR over here. And what better scenario to produce great marks is when you're not worried about chasing a mark, you're just worried about winning. You're just worried about scoring points for your team. You're trying to put effort into something greater than yourself and contribute to something greater than yourself. That's where you get really special individual performances that that it comes from that. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and it's exciting for the people that are sitting in the stands. I, I, like I've said a million times, I mean, if, if we talk about elevate, elevator pitches and whatnot, I got three words, winners and losers. That's it, man. You need winners because you could talk about, 
you know, a 50 foot triple jump or a, or a, you know, a 68 foot shot, put whatever. I want to see somebody, I want to watch three guys coming down the straightaway at the end of a mile, whether they're running 405 or 355, I want to watch them battle and see who's going to win. And that's exciting if I don't know that much more about track and field, right? Like that's just how everybody got all cranked up about uh, who, who, what was that play? DK Metcalf, Mike, I was just going to take that one step further. I know exactly where you're going. Right. There. Uh, <laughs> and and all, all of a sudden we're super excited about how fast people are and they're fast, right? I'm not one of these guys. It's like, ah, they're slow. They're not, you know, yeah, they're great. They're amazing phenomenal fast athletes and people got excited about two guys racing down the field man you know it's like this is our opportunity this is our opportunity right now because if we if we if we cut our meats down to the minimum of 10 10 event counter Uh that does give us a little extra wiggle room to be like oh let's put on a let's put on a an interesting event at our meet Mm -hmm. you know i keep coming back yeah I, i keep coming back to winners and losers is great but you need exposure too right and so I keep coming back to streaming because, you know, we all saw that play on repeat, the GIF, whatever it right. was. We all saw it. But if you don't have the capacity to stream, like I'm in the A10, and John can uh, back me up on this, right? Our championship meets aren't streamed. When I first got there into the A10, six, seven years ago now, I asked that same question, are we streaming this championship meet? And every year I get the same answer, no. So I keep coming back to streaming. Like you need winners and losers, but you also need exposure and to increase your reach. Absolutely. One of the things we've definitely forgotten <clears throat> is we need to increase the reach. We need to find a way to be more, I don't know, prevalent on campus. We can't just go sit behind a, you know, sit, sit behind a, a desk and then go to the track and go, you know, just be, um, be a ghost. No, no, not trying to bring Halloween into this few days away, but at the same time, we don't need to be a ghost with all this kind of stuff. We need to be out front and doing this kind of stuff. That's why I know people have their offices out of the track. I hate have my, I would hate to have an office out of the track because I'm never going to see anybody. Then you are isolated. Then you are by yourself. There's no questions. We got to change things up. No doubt about that kind of stuff. But people get scared and having to have a dual meet with, oh, hey, we're going to, we have to go do, I mean, for us, we have to go, we'd have to go do like Alabama or Sanford. I don't know how we're going to do it. Alabama we're probably might not fare that well. I'm not going to lie. Sanford will at least hold our own, but they're a very good track and field team, but nobody wants to come back with loss because we're, we're scared of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, another way of looking at this and, and I've, you know, have some avenues to, to discuss this at, at some higher levels with, with certain people, but, you know, one of the things that I think is really important uh, and this is just, you know, again, my own opinion. This isn't, I'm not speaking for anybody other than John Bell here. Is I think we need to, you know, cross country is unique to itself. And, and right now, indoor track and outdoor track are very redundant. And I think we need to find a way, in, in my opinion, to, to, because indoor track is an asset to our sport. We need to find a way to make indoor track different than outdoor track. And whether that is, changing all the events. I think that's one way of doing it, you know, not running the traditional, um, you know, 60, 200, 400, 800 mile. I mean, maybe you run a, a 60, 300, 600,000, you know, something that's totally different. Um, or I throw this one out there. Maybe, you know, and I've, I've really been thinking more and more about Mike's uh, point here. Maybe we make indoor track team oriented, entirely team championship track and field. Everything is scored. Wins, losses. We have to set the sport apart. 
And, and, and I, I just think it's, uh, it's time, you know, with, with Minnesota, when Minnesota gets cut, when yep. Wilman, William and Mary gets cut, when Akron gets cut, when UMKC gets cut and you just go down the list, you know, at some point we are, we're trying to survive. You know, Sam, Sam said it on the, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we are in survival mode. And, and, and here's the thing before COVID programs were getting cut after COVID programs are getting cut. So <laughs> your programs are getting cut. So we better change. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just, it's an easier excuse now, right? It's yeah, just an easier it's, fallback. Now. It's an easier fallback. And, and like I said, it, it's either sped it up or it's just put more light on, on the situation. So what I do know is, is again, before COVID programs were getting, were getting cut. So um, uh, if we think that everything is honky dory, you know, I'm really showing age here. Everything's honky dory. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, no, I guess uh, news newsflash here, programs are going to get cut. So we better do something. And, and so I think everything's on the table right now as, as to what we do. Um, I don't have necessarily answers, but I know something's got to change. So I, I don't know. Maybe we should get back to, to Louis here and, and <laughs> talk, about, talk about his story. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we brought up some good – there's been some really good points that have been brought up. And I think one of the things that we've uh, – I think one of the things a lot of this, I don't know, I want to say generation because that's a wrong word for it, but people now, whether it's social media, whether they have a voice, have been able to start reaching out. And this podcast is a perfect example of saying, hey, things got to change a little bit because, Coach, we'll dive into you here a little bit, but you've been coaching for a lot longer than all of us have. Um, but at the same time, we seem to be fighting the same battles that you guys fought. If I talk to anybody who's been in the coaching world for a long time, we've been fighting those same battles. And now it finally seems that, a lot of people are starting to just finally put their foot down and say, no, we got to make some changes. And we haven't seen that in the cross and track world, but I know the conversations are finally beginning to happen. So, but um, real quick, let's, let's, let's have a little fun here. Let's go back. You mentioned being at Nova. How does the Cali kid get to Nova? Well, pre-social media, obviously. Um, it's kind of funny when I was being recruited, I mean, you just get letters, right. They're just coming in, in yep. the mail. And, um, yep. one school that recruited me really hard was, was Clemson, Clemson and Wake Forest. There were two schools that recruited me really hard and they would send me the rankings like every Monday. Cause I had no idea how to figure out who was good at the collegiate level, other than I knew Arkansas was good. So that was like the one thing. And so, you know, really in, in my mind, I had, at the University of Arkansas, that was like the place I really wanted to go to school. And I ended up visiting uh, Arkansas, uh, University of Florida, um, University of Oregon, Wisconsin, and Villanova. Villanova was like a throw-in school. They weren't recruiting me at all. And um, I really wanted to go to Arkansas. I was between Arkansas and Villanova, kind of like going into the process. But I got invited to run Milrose Games, which was also kind of unique for a Californian at the time. And but you had to pay your way out there. And so I was like, ah, oh, what school's near there that I can go check out, get my recruiting trip, you know, get my way paid out there. And so I chose Villanova because I knew one of the athletes on the team, Terrence Mahan. Terrence Mahan was also from California. He coaches, he's a professional coach down in uh, San Diego now. Uh, anyway, so I, I flew out there, not even expecting to to like it at all. And in fact, their coach at the time, Marty Stern, legendary yep. women's coach, um, that was his first year as the men's coach. Oh, and wow. so the men, this was in the fall of 1991 or the winter of 91. Um, when I was being recruited, they hadn't made nationals in cross country 
since 1982. So like they were in a real sort of dark days of the Lenovo, if that's even a thing. Um, and so I went out there just kind of like, okay, let's, let's just go, take a visit. I really enjoyed it. You know, um, then I, you know, but at the end of the day, like they're offering me a full scholarship because they just want to get this thing rolling. Um, and my last visit was Arkansas. I waited to the very end to visit Arkansas. I remember talking to my parents before I flew out there and I said, you know, what's going to be, um, you know, like, well, let's talk about offers here. Cause I said, they're not going to offer me a full, this is Arkansas. They're like triple crown. They're going to, you know, they're going to throw some percentages at me. What, what is like, what is the, the, the threshold need to be for me to just say, I'm coming. I want to be a Razorback because I was going to commit on my visit there. Um, and so anyways, I get there and I don't spend any time with coach McDonald at all. Um, spent most of my time with Doug Clark, the assistant coach. And uh, it really wasn't what I had hoped it would be. And in fact, at the very end, I met coach McDonald before I went to the airport, spent about 10 minutes with him. And his lasting thing to me, he says, you know, listen, you tell everybody no, and then we'll talk money. You know, and I, I don't, at that time, I really wasn't willing to sacrifice other offers. And so um, I said, okay, you know, and was polite, got on the phone the next day, called Marty Stern. I said, he, I would, you know, I'd like to come to Villanova. Um, they were on a spring break trip at the time. They were at the University of Miami. He's out like by a pool. I can only imagine him like, you know, with the gold chain and this like hairy chest, like sunning out of the <laughs> pool and you take in this phone call, like from some cabana person, you know, and I call and, and I said, Hey coach, you know, I'm, I'm coming to Villanova. And he's like, Oh man, this is fantastic. I said, I'm coming on, uh, you know, on two conditions. One, I get to go to California at least once a year. So my parents can, you know, watch me race. And he's like, done. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll spring break in, in California next year. And I said, Two, we go to Arkansas next year so I can kick the shit out of those guys. <laughs> and so and so we went to Hot Springs, Arkansas the next year. And as a freshman, I ran 341 down there. Yeah. And uh, it was really kind of like a, a breakthrough for me. But I utilized my whole four years at uh, Villanova to just be a thorn in the side to the University of Arkansas. And we turned it around at Villanova. We made nationals my sophomore year. We got fourth in Bloomington in a mud bath. Um, I was fourth that day. Um, as a 19 year old soft and we made nationals, you know, three times we're top 10, a couple times, and they've been, been pretty good since, since I left um, the mid nineties. So um, it was, it was interesting. It was a really hard transition for me to be quite honest. I, I was a mid distance runner, which is probably a good fit to go to Villanova. Um, but uh, you know, Marty, Marty retired like sort of midway through my career. And I ended up having several coaches that really kind of shaped my ability to get into coaching. I was around a great women's team. They won nationals every year I was in school. Um, they won the year before I got there and the year after I left. So they won six wow. titles in a row. Um, and, and in fact, they didn't lose a meet for six years. I mean, it's something that people don't talk about. They were undefeated for six years, every meet, like invitationals, everything. Um, and almost had an individual winner in every race for six years. We talk yeah, about it was incredible doing that same thing, you know, what were the 32 and 0, 35 and 0, and then I don't know what Gino, Gino, <coughs> excuse me, Gino, Gino, I am, I cannot talk tonight, but Gino Shriek was with women's basketball and how incredible that is. Right. It was, I don't know the, what the record was, 120 some odd games in a row, I believe it was. Right. But we don't talk about something like Villanova where that's, that's not supposed to happen, especially when you win the meet and have an individual champion almost every single time. Yeah, I think it, it helped. I mean, it shaped my, my coaching career, certainly, as I, you know, 
got into the business and started thinking about like, you know, what was possible, just being able to see that um, on a daily basis. But it was definitely a tough transition. I had a decent career, uh, maybe not necessarily what people had projected of me when I was in high school. Um, But, you know, I was all American three times in cross country and I absolutely hated cross country. I was an 800 meter runner in high school and I loved the camaraderie of cross country, but I hated running cross country. I absolutely hated it. Um, but you learn to love it just like anything. And, you know, and running, uh, Terrence Mahan was really instrumental. He basically coached me to be quite honest. He got me out the door doing long runs on Sundays and, um, but I had multiple coaches there. So it made it really difficult towards the end. Um, I had, I ended up having four coaches my last two years at Villanova. So it was, it was really tough. Um, you know, but again, I think it molded me and shaped me as a coach, you know, just being, being loyal to my, my athletes and and where I'm at. I mean, I stayed at ASU for 16 years, probably a lot longer than I probably should have. But I longed, I longed to be on the West coast after I did my time at Villanova. I was like, I need to get back to the West coast. Yeah. Is that what you Go ahead, John, please. I was going to say that that transition from California to Philly. Yeah. That's not an easy transition. No, you don't see many people do that. In fact, we had a lot of international guys on my team at Villanova, guys from Ireland and England. And we would joke that, you know, this is back in the early 90s, that they would fly and get home to County Cork faster than I would get home to <laughs> San Luis Obispo, California, because I had to fly from Philly to somewhere, you know, Cincinnati or something like that, wait around for a couple hours, get on a flight from Cincy to like L.A., and then get in my call, like my dad come pick me up and we drive three hours back home, Jeez. you know, whereas a buddy is like living in County, you know, County Cork, Ireland, and he's there five hours earlier than I am. So I just didn't, you know, I, some of the things you don't think about, and I've kind of put into my coaching, you know, when you talk about recruiting and kids, you know, making that big jump, you know, how, how worth it is, is it to go fully out of your footprint to, to bring a kid into your program, knowing that those are little pieces that they're absolutely not thinking about. They're thinking of the novelty of going far away from home, but they're not really thinking about all the little nuances of like, man, I just want to get home and have like my favorite burrito. Like, but I can't do that. Right. I got to get on a plane. I got to fly, you know, I got to do all these things. And sometimes your best option is right in your backyard. You know, I'm sure we can have a whole another conversation about that. That's one of the more California phrases I've ever heard. I just want to get home and have my favorite burrito. Having lived in Southern California for a little while myself, I can totally understand. But um, yeah, that's that's a, that's a California statement right there. <laughs> Who knows? That could also be a plug for a couple of recruits with uh, the fact of uh, the fact that uh, you know, or the best best thing to be right in the backyard. Maybe somebody picks that up and goes go ahead and, and says, "Oh, hey, by the way, the best thing is is to go here, not to head out of the state or something like that." But it can also be the worst thing in some cases, depending on the kid. Yeah. It can absolutely be. Yeah, just a matter of which kid and how to find it and do that kind of stuff. So what – so, again, four coaches in two years. Yeah. I, I think – I don't care what, what program you are. I think we're all college coaches here. We know that. And we wouldn't use that in the most derogatory way, but we kind of would, would bring it up as a question mark. But, hey, why would you want to go to Oregon State? They just had four coaches and in two years, there's no stability there. There's nothing with this kind of stuff. I think we'd all would, would do that, not in a very malicious way, but just as something that's like, Hey, you want to put a, 
again, put a little thorn in there, put a little uh, salt in the wound with that, and you've had that, your coach retires after two years. So then why do you want to coach? Most coach, most kids would say, I'm not even going to touch that. If that's how it's going to go, I'm, I don't even want to deal with that because I can't connect with the coach. Why would you want to be coaching? Yeah, I mean, those are, you know, we get those questions all the time when we have recruits coming in, you know, um, just kind of, I think we've all been there, you know, the parents sitting there and they're going, okay, we're going to ask this question. How long are you going to be here for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's a really difficult thing to, to answer. I think when I was at Arizona state, um, I, you know, I went to ASU kind of a, as a temporary stop as a graduate assistant, which is like a dying thing in our industry. Um, but, uh, you know, I was really thankful when I went to ASU, I was taken over for Corey Emmels and Corey, the coach at Boise state. And he just got the job at Iowa state. And Walt Drenth, um, who was William, at William and Mary, when I was at Villanova, and I got to be um, good friends with Coach Coach Drenth, called me up and he said, "Hey, I got a job for you if you can make it out here like in a month." And I was teaching; I had a teaching job, and I was actually like making real money, you know, like actual money. Um, and I I said, "I'll be there," and you know, I'll be there in a month. And I showed up uh, making three hundred fifty dollars a month in two thousand and one. You know, it's like, it's not that long ago, but my wife, um, you know, supported me through this kind of crazy journey. Um, she was from Phoenix. We were living in, in California at the time. So it was really kind of a good fit for her, but the GA thing was a dead thing. Right. So like you go there and at ASU, it wasn't, we weren't fully funded as a staff. So, um, on top of taking like a full credit load of classes, I was recruiting, which was invaluable. I'm on the phone. I'm talking to kids. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, coach, coach strength, giving me a group to coach. I'm, I'm doing all kinds of that. I'm doing all the travel. I'm doing everything at Arizona state. But I also remember thinking like, you know, I'm only going to be here for about 18 months and then I'm, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. And so like being there for 16 years and having those conversations at some point with parents, how long are you going to be here for? You know, I'm always thinking like, where am I going to go? What's better than this? We're winning national titles. Where, where, where do I want to, where do I want to go? I mean, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, you know, and, um, I don't think I'd ever would have imagined that I would have left ASU to be quite honest, you know, with my wife being from there and all the family and my, my kids, uh, growing up there with their family around there, you just kind of go, this is what, this is what it's going to be, you know, but, uh, but here I am and couldn't be happier to be quite honest. Yeah. So was it the call to make you, the, was it the call to, come across the country that make you wanted to coach? Um, meaning like when I went to ASU or? Oh, just in general, because normally yeah. you don't leave, I mean, you don't leave a teaching job to go coach. And some, yeah, yeah. But some people don't, but like what, what inspired you to, to do what you're doing? Today? Honestly, I always thought I was going to coach. My dad's a college coach and um, he coaches at a community college in California. And my dad has always instilled in me as a track coach, you got to be able to coach all the events. And he, he coaches everything. He coaches, he's a distance runner like myself, but you know, he coaches javelin, he coaches the hammer, he coaches the long jump and the pole vault, and he's doing everything and he's had success in all the different events. Um, and so, you know, and then that was for me, I always felt like I was going to do this. And, and Dave Hartman, who's the coach at San Antonio, him and I were roommates at Villanova. And we used to sit there. I remember even, I can, I can actually remember conversations of us sitting or, you know, laying down in our respective beds, looking, it's dark. We're staring up at, at the ceiling going like talking about what we're going to do as coaches, as a college coach. It's like, man, let's go somewhere where they have no tradition. Like you can go somewhere 
and take them to the national meet. That'd be so awesome. And I'll go somewhere and take them to the national meet. And it's kind of funny because he goes to San Antonio and they go to nationals, right? Like yep. UT San Antonio and he's taken them and, and uh, Georgia and Texas A&M. He's, he's been, you know, very successful for where, where he's at. And, you know, being at Arizona state, obviously set up by Walt and Walt kind of created what we had there. Uh, but it's a non-traditional place of us being good. Oregon state, we made nationals and we've never done that before. I kind of, it's funny because I went to a blue blood school, but I'm, I don't never really considered myself a blue blood person. When, even when I decided to go there, I was bunking the system. I was footlocker national champ should have gone to Arkansas, should have gone to Oregon. I went to Villanova because I wanted to change things. I wanted to see if I could make it a change or make a difference. And that's been sort of the attraction to places like ASU or Oregon state, maybe kind of the non-traditional places. Cause I'll tell you what, it's hard. It's hard to recruit to the desert in for distance running. Sounds it, like it like is, a challenge. I do. Yeah, I, I really do. And maybe I never thought that I did. I mean, I think we all kind of, you know, I'm definitely, I mean, I, I interviewed at Stanford. I was on campus there um, back in 2005, early in my coaching career. And you know, what's not to like, you know, I remember I, I had a conversation with, um, associate athletic director, whoever was in charge of their sport at the time we had breakfast. I had a really good first day. Edric was the coach just took over for Vin Edric. And I kind of, you know, had a great night talking about how we're just going to conquer the world and all this stuff. And I called my wife that night from a balcony in Palo Alto at a hotel. And I'm like, I'm coming. This is, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm going to take the job. And then the next day I had this interesting meeting where the, the associate athletic director said, you know, we have, we have some really special kids here. They're, they're just different. And it just bothered me. It, I don't know why it bothered me, but it just did. I was like, I have some, and that's why I said to her, and it was probably the wrong thing to say. I said, I have some really special kids at Arizona state too. And then at that moment, I was like, you know what? I want to stay at ASU because I want to beat them. It was just <laughs> like how I felt like, and I know I shouldn't get real like personal with stuff. And I totally do. I, I still get really personal with things and competition. I'm like, I'm quiet, but I'm, I get really just for, I don't know. I just get, that's just the way I am. And so uh, I remember getting a phone call. As soon as I got home, Amy Hastings called me. She was on the team at ASU at the time. She is really fiery, very fiery. She calls me. I just walked in my house from my interview at Stanford that no one knew about, I thought. And she's like, I heard that you were at Stanford. And I was like, uh, so you can't go. We're going to beat them this year. And I'm like, I'm not going, don't worry. You know, at the, con at the conference meet, we lost to them 34 to 39. Oh, shit. We, we freaking scored 39 points at the Pac-12 meet and Lips. didn't win. Yeah. Golly. But we got fourth at nationals two, a few weeks later. And, uh, you know, I was really proud of that because we did that with, with kids that no one ever heard of, you know, and getting on the podium there in Terre Haute was so satisfying because it was Colorado- Stanford, Duke, Arizona State, you know, and we graduated that whole team. And two years later, we did it again, you know, with a whole different group. And I remember before we got up onto the podium in 07, I told the women, I said, really soak this in. You know, I want you to look at everybody that's looking up at you right now, because every one of you that's come here was extremely under recruited. And they're all, they're all going to look at you and go, who the hell is this team? Where did these kids come from? We had three girls from Arizona, um, four girls from California on that team, that trophy in 07. Um, but those are the moments that I love. 
doing stuff that maybe people don't necessarily think that is possible. Um, it's a lot of hard work. There's no question about it, but it's just a lot of fun. Is there something, one of the things that you and I have talked about off camera, and uh, I've been very unbelievably fortunate to learn from you on a lot of stuff. <clears throat> but one of the things that you've done is, I mean, you take a team that was fourth and turn around, they do it again two years later. You find kids that are, for lack of a better way, they've got good credentials. They're not terrible kids, but they've yeah. got good credentials, and you turn them into very good athletes. What's the common, is it, have you found that there's a common denominator? You know, is there a comment? Is there something that each one of those kids holds and say, man, boom, got it. That kid, I, he, then maybe she doesn't run as fast. Maybe she's not the 440 mile or 450, but she's the five minute or 505 girl. Like, but I still want that kid because it's going to fit. Or maybe it's the 510 girl. I know that's going to fit because that's still going to take us. And I, I know I can develop her in two years and she can be rocking and rolling. Is there something there? Right. I think you and I have talked about this, Matt, a bunch of times. We talked about like kind of just figuring out ways to recruit. When I was at Arizona State, didn't have a lot of scholarship money to recruit. So I had to be, I had to, and I think it was the best thing for me as a coach, to be quite honest. Coach Craft is, Coach Greg Craft at Arizona State was very supportive of me. I was kind of like his son. So he, I came in super young and I was the GA and then he, he took a chance and hired me, you know, when Walt left and Walt's this renowned coach in my first year at ASU we got eighth on the men's side at nationals and the women were ninth. And I'm like, this is easy, man. We could do this all the time. And I'll tell you what, like I've had some humbling, humbling times in my coaching career. Um, I've coached two teams to be dead last at the conference meet on the men's side. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. And uh, so, I mean, I've had some tough, tough moments, right. Uh, yep. But I've had six women or six men and women win national titles with five different kids, you know? And so I've had, both ends. And I, I always feel like, and these are the things that I talk to my athletes. I'll talk about, talk about the recruiting piece in a second, but I always tell them, you know, we got to stay emotionally consistent, not a lot of high highs, not a lot of low lows. And I've coached that way too. I mean, I like to celebrate some things that we do really well because every kid on my team is going to improve at different rates and we have to celebrate that. So um, that's important. But I think in recruiting, there's not there's never really been one thing that I've looked for. And I've, I've turned over every stone to try to figure this out. I've tried to moneyball this whole thing, analytics. Like it just doesn't happen in our sport quite like you think it should. Um, plus there's just not enough data out there. Or at least we're not, you know, Matt, you're pretty good at it, but I don't, I just, I just I don't have that mind to be able to put all that stuff together. And so ultimately I always say, and it's like the most simplistic thing ever, but I always seem to get, the kids that just fit my personality and I just go with it. And when that happens, I think we create a really good environment within the team. And that's one thing we always had at, at ASU is, you know, it's really athlete driven. They, they drive, they know that I'm pretty motivated to be a good team. They don't need me yelling at them every single day, but you know, we'll set the tone. We'll kind of talk about the culture of what we want and they lead it and they, they've always done a really good job. And I think we've created that at Oregon state. Um, I was interested to see if I could do it somewhere else. You know, I mean, ASU, you know, Walt was the coach. Walt set that st that standard. And I kind of just came in after that and just rode, rode his coattails, to be quite honest. And so I was curious if I could go to another place and create that similar um, chemistry within my group. 
And I think that we've done that, you know, so it's, it's not, you know, coach Drenth, his blueprint for success. I mean, there was a lot of like um, physiological stuff that I learned from him, but it's been like recreated all over the place. There's like huge Walt Drenth coaching tree all over the place. Alex Gibby at Harvard, you know, Ryan Cole worked for me. He's at air force now and he's doing a great job. Corey Emmels, you know, there's people all over the place that are doing a, a pretty good job at, you know, implementing some of his, you know, philosophical strategies. What was one that you took away then? Uh, just build, honestly, just building relationships and being real with the kids. I mean, um, he, he was definitely, Walt and I are different. There's no question. I'm like a softer Walt, you know, like, um, <laughs> and, and, and like Walt can be pretty hard. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten a lot more um, uh, softer in his message and his tone. But I think um, building the relationships with the athletes was probably the biggest thing. And, and he was, he was great at it. Um, coach, coach Kraft hated the fact that Walt brought in kids that didn't pass the, the smell test in terms of their PRs. Like, I mean, we would have kids on our team, girls that were like 1142 milers and guys that were like 942 milers on a pack 10 team. And he would turn them into 855 steeple guy that would score at the conference meet. And I I'm still that way. And I think that that creates an interesting dynamic because I, even on my team now, I have a girls, I have girls that have run 4:43 in the mile in high school, and I've got girls that were 5:20 girls. And um, we're not an elitist program by any means. And sometimes there's value to having that kid that's run 5:20, banging on a tempo run right with that 4:43 kid. I mean, it keeps everybody on their toes. It keeps everybody humble. It does an amazing thing. And it's amazing what you can find because if you set the culture, you set the standard, there you go. I, I mean, I would go back and argue, <clears throat> you, you follow, I mean, you follow the former coaches coattails for only three, four five years, whatever the case might be. And <clears throat> again, depends on when your kids are out and then your kids are in, I think that's the biggest thing. So I would say you've been, you did a hell of a job quickly recreating what you needed to do to make yourself even more successful. Despite what Walt did, you took that, you know, some of those things and said, Hey, here's what we're going to do but then you had to create your own for the next, what, 12 years, roughly, probably out of that yeah. 12, 13, you did an incredible job there with Oregon and with Arizona state. And now of course, Oregon state, um, what, so you, you mentioned Amy Hastings back a little bit that way. Uh, and of course, I think a lot of people know, uh, the badass that is Shelby Houlihan. I just look yeah. there and I go, she's a badass. Like I wouldn't <laughs> back out. Yeah. She will knock somebody's head off. Um, how was it like to coach two Olympians like that? I mean, two U.S. champs that have done some unbelievably incredible things as pros and are continually to do incredible things. No questions about it, especially what Shelby's doing. How, how was it to coach those guys? Those ladies, excuse me. Yeah, no, I mean, we can even back it up, too, because Lisa, Lisa Aguilera, um, who I coach is steeplechaser. She she was an American oh, yeah. record holder at one point. Um, yep. She won two, two USA titles in the steeple. She kind of like set the tone for a lot of those kids that I coached at ASU, like she was a Phoenix kid that ran 501 in the mile and ended up running 924 in the steeple. And um, was she's still the dual meet NCAA dual meet national record holder. She ran 946 in a dual meet against Arizona. <laughs> Loved the dual meets. It was awesome. You know, she, I think she laughed people in the steeple, but um, you know, Amy's interesting. I, I recruited Amy and here, here's a crazy story that Dave Hartman was coaching at Texas A&M. He was my roommate at Villanova. She committed to Texas A&M and called me on the phone and said, coach, she's from Kansas. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. coach, um, I'm going to Texas A&M. And I said, no, no, you're not. No, 
And it was like, the, honestly, the only time I've ever said no to a kid while she's on the phone, I said, why don't you think about this again and call me tomorrow morning? <laughs> and so I, you know, and I, and I actually said, I'll call you tomorrow morning. Yeah. And so she calls me back the next day. She calls me back and she says, coach, I'm coming to Arizona state. And I said, okay, that's, that's, that's more like it. Dave Hartman and I didn't talk for six months. We're like <laughs> best friends. And then, and then it got worse at, as how good she became, right? She was, she ran oh, 507 shit. in high school and she was one of the most coveted like 507 kids you would ever find because I went to like Kenosha to watch her run at the Midwest, Midwest regionals. She was yep. 13th. She didn't make the footlocker team, but she was just gutsy and people like her and, and Shelby, you don't, I mean, you coach, you kind of manage, you know, I think in a way, because you hold them back in a way, or you, you know, yep. kind of foster them and foster their development. But Amy was, um, there was, there was moments where we, we disagreed with stuff. And, um, the year she won the NCAA indoor 5k, she wanted to run USA cross. And I told her, no, we're, you know, we're trying to win a trophy with, as a team, like you run USA cross, you're going to compromise your ability to run the 5k at the, the national meet. And then she, she was so mad. She came into my office. I'm on my computer. She sat in a chair, like a caddy corner across from me and just stared at me for like two hours. And I said, you can sit there. I don't care. I'm a, I got work to do. And she just sat in the corner and just stared at me, like hoping that I would change my mind. And I never did. Uh, and she, when she won, she like came across I mean, after that I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And she came up to me and she's like, Oh, that was such a great decision. I said, I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> but she was awesome. You know, she, she had a great career and um, really kind of set the tone for like what is possible. You know, Lisa kind of did too. And then, you know, Amy came around and we had a girl named Victoria Jackson who won the 10 K that same year that Amy won the five K we kind of had a really good team at one time um, with all these girls, okay. but Shelby was interesting too, because we just never landed like the big recruit. You know, we couldn't quite get the next one. Like I had Jordan Hasse on campus. I had all of these kids visiting us because we were, we were a hot school because we were winning track titles and our team was a national, you know, trophying. We made nationals 12 years in a row in cross country, but I couldn't sign these kids. And Shelby was a big time recruit and oh, yeah. she was down to us and, you know, she visited Oregon and Oklahoma state and Tennessee with JJ at the time. And I flew out to see her in uh, Sioux city, Iowa in February. And I flew into Omaha Ooh. and I got a car and I drove through like a snow drift to her house in Sioux city, white knuckling it the whole time. man. I was, I, was like, gonna say. I walked into the house and I said, man, if you don't come to Tempe, Arizona, like like, what am I doing here? Like, just joking. And I think I sold her right there. Like that moment she was in, I, I can't, I remember going home. I had like this, like I had 24 cookies. Her mom had baked, Connie had baked for me. I mean, I just, it was good. And we were, we were stoked to get her. She was still a little bit under the radar then as a distance kid, you know, but her and I had talked even in the recruiting process about taking some time to become a distance runner and really seeing what we can do. I mean, I said, you got world-class speed in my opinion, you know, she can run 53 seconds on a relay. Um, I'm like, if you can just aerobically get better, that might come in handy at the end of a race, you know? So um, we, you know, I, I took some um, criticism of like being too slow with her development at ASU um, considering how good she is now. But, you know, Jerry Schumacher, who's a good friend of mine as well, 
Um, we went to Europe together to race in back when they used to have this USA emerging elite thing that they used to sponsor for collegiate athletes. And yep. and I've been pretty close for a long time. And, and I told her, I told him when he was recruiting her, I said, she can run 15 flat right now, but we just choose not to do that. Like, and I'm not saying like we choose to, like she was a 1500 international champion. We we're just going to continue to do that. I said, once she can leave the collegiate confines of very structured stuff, she's going to have the ability to be able to run 15 flat or better. You know, I said, she just, she's a competitor, man. It's worked out. Would, she would race kids on my team, my guys doing strides. And she was the only female athlete that I ever coached that I had working out with guys. So in ASU, we were ranked, we were a nationally ranked team one fall. And yep. I had four freshman boys her senior year doing tempos with, with her. And they, they, they came into my office one day and said, coach, we don't want to, we don't want to run with her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you need to like, like be better on your tempo runs. I mean, I think if we can get you down to like five fifteen or five twenty pace, then that's a great thing over five miles. But until then you guys are on the same level. So yeah. There's a lot so. of stuff in that story that resonates with me personally a lot. I, that was really, really interesting, but I think one, kind of sort of subtle thing that you hit on there was that I've been on the bad end of stuff and on the good end of stuff. And I've done it with kids maybe under the radar too. And it's really tempting to, once you start having success with those kids that maybe weren't super successful, say, I got to get superstars now, but that right. might, and it took me a minute and go, you know, and you do that, but you talk about that culture and that mm -hmm. team, that group, and that's the magic. That's the stuff that, and it doesn't take superstars, you know, and, and all the, right. and you got to kind of really kind of take stock in yourself and say, what am I really, what's my strength? What, what do I, what's my personality? And it might be, Hey, I'm kicking everybody's ass with people that nobody else wanted. Let's just keep doing that. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, it's nice to get the superstar. Don't get me wrong, but sure. like, it's easy to forget and just forget about those kids and say, well, now I'm, now I'm this guy. So I got to go get these kind of kids, you know? It, that's such a great point. Um, I, when I got here to Oregon state, um, there's two sports that are really good here on campus. It was men's baseball because we've mm -hmm. won like, uh, several national titles in the last dozen years and women's basketball. You know, we've made the final four women's basketball. They almost outdraw the men. It's unbelievable. And so, um, I went to the baseball coach who's now retired and asked him, about his early wins. They won two, two times in a row, like in 06 and 07. And then they kind of fell off. And then they won again, like 10 years later. I asked him about the middle years. And he says, you know, I went away from my, the kids that really wanted mm -hmm. to be a part of our program. And we got good. And I started bringing in these five-star recruits. And we, we lost that, like that coach said, we lost that magic. And he kind of went back to the Northwest kid, the real like, you know, beaver nation type people. And then they win again, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I, I feel that. And Shelby was unique. Shelby was an elite runner that just fit my personality really, really well. And she, nothing was, there wasn't anything that she was doing that was like in her training, nothing was beneath her. She was willing to work is just as hard as the 520 girl. And she wanted that, and she wanted to inspire that 520 kid to be better. And that's very unique, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe I'm just not 
sort of, it's again, like I said, I went to a blue blood school where everybody on the team was like the who's who, you know, you pick up a track and field news and this dude was a 405 kid. And this guy was a 408 kid. And these girls were, you know, studs there. It's a, a different type of coach that some, you know, that I'm just not necessarily maybe, and maybe I am cut out for it. I'm not, I don't know, but I really like how we construct things in the two places that I've been. I like the That's, mixture of the athletes. Mm-hmm. I like coaching, to be quite honest. I really <laughs> like coaching. I like getting my hands dirty and coaching. And I felt like when I took the job at Oregon State, and people even accused me of this here that I'm going to stack my roster because I'm the head coach and I can put 14 scholarships into the distance team. We have three scholarships less in our distance team than we did when I first got here. So I got here, we had over 10 scholarships in the distance team. I got seven. Seven's a lot for me. Yep. That's a lot of scholarship for me. And three and a half at Arizona State, you know. So um, I felt like I'm real. I'm willing to coach. I'm willing to. And I, do I make mistakes? Without question, we're not like we make mistakes in recruiting. There's no question about that. But you know, we've we we're getting a lot out of what we've spent here at at Oregon State. So um, I think the one big difference is philosophically, Coach Kraft had a, a model. You know, and here's the throws, the field. You get this amount, and you know, it, and never the tween shall meet. Even if I came to the, the table and said, coach, I got this kid. He's from, you know, from Kenya. He's a 14 flat guy. And he's like, you got any, you have no money. He would say that to me straight up. And I'm like, so I was like my, my own CEO of my own money, you know, like I, he would play devil's advocate or something like that, but he, you know, so it made me really research kids do a lot of phone calls. I would, I was known to go watch like rinky dink meets in Phoenix because I needed to watch kids move. And you know, I could see a kid that's a 417 kid that looks completely different than the 425 kid and take the 425 kid because I'm like, I like the way he warms up. I like the way he's engaged with the process. And I don't know, I'm a stickler with stuff. I know that. And I think I drive the girls on my team crazy because I bring in recruits that kid, they've never even heard. Like, you know, and they're like, coach, what? Like, coach, you're so picky with kids. You're so picky. And I'm like, I just have to be, yeah. you know, but it's fun. I don't know. And those intangibles, those intangibles are so valuable. I, I love, I love going to meets and watching kids warm up. I think it tells you so much about how a kid prepares and gets their mind and body ready to compete. I, I, I love that statement right there. I would, uh, there was two meets I went to when I was at Arizona state and I would go without any ASU stuff on. And I would go to the California Juco, um, state meet cause I was our junior college recruiter. Cause my dad was a junior college coach. And so he would hook me up with all these kids like information and I would show up and I wouldn't have any ASU stuff on because I just didn't want to get pulled aside by a parent or a coach and be like, Hey, I got this guy for you. You know? And you're just like, do you really have a guy for me? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I'm like, I really want to watch these kids warm up right now. And I don't want to be rude. You know? So like, obviously I listened to them talk and I would go to the Southern section um, CIF championships and, you know, you, you sit there and I basically, I would spend almost all my time in the warm up area and I wanted to see the kids interact with their teammates. I wanted to see how they interacted with their coaches. Do they follow directions? Well, are they going to be coachable at the end of the day? Cause we've all, you know, had a lot of kids that it's, it's just tough, you know, it's tough to kind of crack that nut. So, um, yeah, I, I miss Which, that part of COVID right now. Of, yeah, it brings up a whole other issue with recruiting. I mean, recruiting is so tough because you can't go watch these kids, and it's such a 
I mean, you can watch video and you can look at times, but man, it just doesn't give you the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Was there something, um, I think we all struggle with this every once in a while, because we get a kid, we start to develop a relationship and we're like, man, I like this kid, man, this would fit. And this kind of fits my personality a little bit. And then all of a sudden they might do something and go, oh shit, I don't know if we should be here or not. Is it, and it could be during a warmup, it could be during a, um, at the end of a competition, you watch them. Cause again, we watch them. I just, I love sitting in the stands. I love going to the state meets and just sitting in the upper right corner and just watching, you know, just watching, just watching the kid the whole way around. But was there something you ever saw that like, Nope, that is a red flag for me right away. And you don't. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is. Um, or gut feeling maybe more of a gut feeling. Yeah. I think that that's probably more accurate is it's kind of um, maybe the way that, and, and I have to, sometimes take a step back. These kids are young. They're 17, 18 years old. Some of them, they could, their shyness could be misconstrued as like aloofness. And, you know, so I think um, in a lot of senses, there's, you know, I have, I have books, actually, I keep them in my office. I have, they're kind of like little journals that I've kept for my whole 20 year coaching career. Every year is new. It's a coach. It's a recruiting journal. And I have a list of every kid that I start recruiting. And then the next page I have where I think they're going to go based off of my first conversation. And I'm like 90% correct almost on all these things. And I always go, God, why I waste all my time on these, you know, like be like, I'm talking to this kid, great conversation, you know, the notes that we make awesome conversation. um, And, but they're going to go to Oregon. There's just something that they said that is going to, you know, and then, you know, six months later, coach really liked your, they, they give you the whole thing, coach. You're the coach that I connected with the most. I really, can, you know, I really like you the most, but I just got to do this. You know, I just got to do these things. And I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah, those books are interesting to kind of go back and, and look through. One of the one kid that got away from me that to this day was always kind of a, it always stung was German Fernandez. He was down to us in Oklahoma State and um, him and I are, backgrounds, Mexican from central California. I really connected with him really well. I connected with his family. Um, we were recruiting him from the beginning, like before he even like blew it up. Uh, I just really liked him. And he ended up going to Oklahoma state cause they were the it school, right. They were like the, the, the program the at, the at the time. And yep. Uh, yep. you know, when he, so when he committed to Oklahoma state, ironically that, indoor season is when he committed that year we won the ncaa championships in track and we had a guy named kyle alcorn that won the 3k that year indoors and it was a surprise he was ranked like 14th out of 16 guys and he won Um, and our dmr got second which was like those 18 points obviously was a difference because we were not projected to score any points in the distance events and then we ended up freaking winning the meet you know and i'm like Okay, German, you know, you kind of want to go back to it and be like, listen, and it's funny because I, I'm, I'm friends with him even to this day, you know, and we, we talk all the time. We were, had really good relationship and certainly had a, had some great moments there at Oklahoma state, no question. But I think we all have those lists of kids that got away and some that got away that you're just like, whew, glad they got away. <laughs> so, so that leads to how, how did Hartman ever forgive you after not talking uh, to you for six months? <laughs> You know, it got, it, honestly, it got worse. It got worse. And, his, and, and, and the, the better that Amy got, 
the the worse it was. <laughs> and we salt joke in the wound. The salt in the wound. We joke about it to this day, but uh, yeah, it was it was an all. It wasn't fun at the time. That's for sure, you know. And but uh, we, well, I got a question. Still, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just have a question for you, and I, I don't know if this is on topic or not. You mentioned your dad was is a coach. Is he still a coach? He is. Yeah. Okay. So my guess, my question is, uh, what impact has he had on your coaching career? Oh, everything. So my dad was a, a runner in high school um, and a baseball player. He was a part-time runner and more of a baseball player. And in fact, when I was in high school, he was a varsity baseball coach at a local high school. And I grew up playing baseball and sort of part-time running when I was in high school until like my last couple of years. He was a master at motivating athletes at coaching. It wasn't necessarily the X's and O's. And I would even say that even to this day, his X's and O's are subpar, but his ability to connect with people is unquestioned. Um, and so we would have teams that were terrible in baseball at the beginning of the year playing for a championship by the end you know it was just kind of this a common theme with him and i always admired that i still do about his his what he's able to accomplish um there was a, a short brief time where i coached at the high school my high school that i went to arroyo grande high school in california and i was in the same league that my dad was in he was coaching at a high school and so i coached against him and i was living at home at the time this was after i'd graduated from villanova getting my teacher credential and I was living at home and his team was the, the team. They were league champions. They were, you know, making it to the state state championships in cross country in California. And I knew exactly what they were doing. It was terrible. Like the X's like, and O's, I'm like, oh, I am going to out coach my dad easy. Like we are way out, out training them. And that's when I realized that that, that shit don't matter. I mean, it matters, but it really doesn't matter. Because we got to this, the, the league championships and they kicked the shit out of us. <laughs> and I remember my dad just kind of looking at me and he kind of just gave me like a what's up, like, what's up? <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, it was just like, oh my God. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's like, mm -hmm. man, you can go and do all your threshold <laughs> training and, you know, like have all these cycles down perfectly. You know, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kick your ass. So, <laughs> that's amazing yeah and he was you know again like he's always told me to take pride in all the events and that was one thing that coach Kraft was really good at when i was at arizona state he allowed me to go to clinics and learn the throws he allowed me to go to like las vegas and sit in on sprints and symposiums so i was doing that and obviously coach dumble dave dumble at Arizona state, one of the best throws coaches in the country. I spent a lot of time with him and we just, I sit at the ring and now we're together here at Oregon state, which is phenomenal. And I was actually out there today. He's got some just stud athletes right now. So I think we're very close to being really good in the throws here. Um, but I, I love that. That's what I love about track and field. I think I can chop it up and talk about all kinds of different events with everybody. And I think my staff appreciates that, that, you know, I know good triple jumpers and I know good high jumpers and I know good shot putters and discus throwers all over the country, you know? And so I'm going to help them recruit. I want my team to be better. That's one of the best things we, we can hear about it. And I think that's one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, not hear about it, but that's one of the things we can hear in you is your passion for actually doing this and passion for being good. I think one of the things that we, we've, a lot of us um, fall into as, as young coaches and even as you work, working your way up 
we don't expand our knowledge at all. We stick with the distances. You stick with the sprints or the jumps or the multis and say, oh, yeah, I know a little bit about this kind of stuff. I remember a gentleman uh, that was my was a throws coach when I was at Iowa, Scott Capos, a phenomenal throws coach out at Nebraska. I think one of the best coaches in the country. But he would tell stories about Bob Kennedy because he, he's an Indiana guy. There, But he's an Indiana guy, and he would tell stories on what Kennedy would do you know, and how he would go, and he would hang out with them. Like, wait a minute, hold on, you hung out with Bob Kennedy. Yeah, but he didn't think it was, it was Bob Kennedy. It was just, oh, Bob Kennedy was just an athlete of mine. It was a friend of mine. But he was able to tell you, hey, that, that mile you just ran, that 14-minute mesh, you just ran 14 minutes, that was really good performance. He could tell you that kind of stuff where our sprints coach didn't know that what 14 minutes meant. He could tell you how to turn left. That was about it. And it was amazing to be able to do that kind of stuff. No disrespect to the coach, but that, that was very, very true. So the fact you can do that is, is incredible. Is there um, – because you've had the champions you've had, the people you've had, uh, is there something you'd give a young coach and say, Hey, here's the best advice we could take from you or best advice I could give you moving forward and that kind of stuff. So I remember uh, coach Kraft because he was kind of a mentor of mine at Arizona state. I think there's certain things that you learn. Um, You learn from coaches of what to do and what not to do. Right. So like, I think they're both value valuable, you know, and just sort of paying attention kind of like in reading the tea leaves sometimes when I was working with coach Kraft, um, probably the biggest thing that has helped me in my career is just being true to myself, just being me. Um, because I do think it's pretty easy to put on a different hat when you're recruiting, put on a different hat when you're coaching, when you're motivating your athletes. I think that that when I put my head on the pillow every night, I want to know that I'm as genuine as I possibly can be with my athletes from the first day that I call them on the phone to when they sign to when they graduate and leave my program. And I feel good about that. I feel like I've done it the right way. I've, you know, coached my ass off. I've had great moments and I've had some really shitty moments. You know, I've had some, you know, 2011, my men's team was dead last at the PAC 12 meet and we hosted, we hosted the meet and we were ranked 23rd in the country. And we got last. Now somebody has to be last at the Pac-12 meet, you know, yeah. it just happened to be us. But, but in front still, of, yeah. I, I, I spent the next three days like curled up watching 1980s movies because I was like, I was so depressed. I was like, I know I was going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. You know, so I've been on both ends. I've been at that. Yep. And, and that winter, I had a guy win the NCAA meet in the indoors in the 800. So like you, and like this sport will humble you quickly, whether you're an athlete or a coach. And I think if you can just stay genuine to yourself, it's, it will account for some longevity in this business. Tom, what was that tweet you put out today? Sounded awful similar to what uh, coach just said here. Oh, Tom, please do. Yeah. You've got to put that one back out there right there. We'll let him look it up because it was actually well worth it to what coach just said. No questions about it. Yeah, it was exactly just to be as the most consistent version of yourself that you could be or something along those lines. And yeah, that's, uh, that's very true. That's great advice. Yeah, no question about that. You have to do it. And again, we've all had those moments where you humble yourself and um, moments where you get excited about everything exactly going on. You can put your head down on the pillow and be excited for what you did that day and what you're going to be doing for the rest of that week or at least for the next day. Uh, and for the rest of your life, it's going to be exciting. It's going to change. The plan isn't yours, but at the same time, it's going to change no matter what. So put your head down excited about what you're going to do. 
Um, so I, I have a quick, quick question before we before we jump off here. Go uh, ahead, best burrito in Corvallis. Ooh, oh, there we go. Oh, best burrito in Corvallis. <laughs> oh man, um, that might be the most dis- difficult question of, of the night. Yeah, I'll tell you what. There's there's a place called uh, El Mexicano that's pretty good. Like I actually just found this place during COVID. Um, that makes a, a, a really good chili Colorado burrito. So, Ooh. well, my, yeah. my wife and I, we love Corvallis, man. Like oh, okay. we visited one time. I mean, j- just an amazing place, but I'm, I'm a little jealous that you're there. It's, you know, I, I'd only been one time. We had the Pac-10s here in 2007 in cross country and it was an in and out thing. Like we, we showed up late. We got here, it was dark already. And then we got up the next morning, we raced, got in the vans, drove back to Portland, left. And I didn't really get a chance to see um, Corvallis. And when I came here on my interview, I was so thankful that I got an interview for one um, and was able to, you know, I was here in July. I left Arizona when it was like 117 degrees and I showed up here. It's like 72 stays light out until like 1030 at night. I'm like, this place is magical. You know, this is unbelievable. And you know, I went to all the trails and I was just like, what am I missing here? Why, why aren't we good? You know, what's happening? You know, yeah. I think that there was a, there was a, uh, you know, I, there, there was, certainly they were trying to be good. There was no question about it, but I think a lot of it was um, it, just getting sidetracked, you know, as they were trying to build the program. I mean, you know, Kelly did a lot of work to just get this point where they were fully funded, able to kind of have, you know, a full staff pay everybody. Um, I think the next step was to see if we could actually do it, you know? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been, it's been really a lot of fun to be quite honest. And my quality of life is, is it has gone through the roof, you know, winning is fun, right? So I went at ASU, we won a lot. We trophied a lot. I think we trophied like 16 times when I was there, it would between indoor cross and outdoor, but to keep it up, it's, it's hard. Like there was years we were ninth or 10th and it was not a lot of fun. Ninth or 10th, you know, you're just like, man, this is pretty sweet. We're ninth at nationals. And it was my, you know, evaluations were stressful and, you know, it was, or making the national meet and cross country, you take a deep breath and go, we made it rather than be really excited for just all the whole process of what just happened, you know? So at Oregon state, there's no, nothing that we, I mean, everything that we do is just amazing. They're like, Oh my God, we've never been better than 11th in the pac 12s and track. All right. Let's try to be 10th, you know, let's, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, I think we can be in the middle of middle of the pack. You know, I, I tell my facetiously tell my staff, I'm like, you know, let's, not get too good too fast here guys you know like we, let's just slowly build this thing up but it, you know it's it's been a lot of fun and it's a great town no question i think there's i think there's no question that what you're doing there as quickly as you've done on the distance side that the track side's going to explode very very fast you're not going to be programmed sitting at 11th again or 10th again you're going to be up in the middle middle of that pack very very quickly i don't think there's any question about it especially with some of the i'm not going to call them grudges but kind of thorns on the side that you that you hold and things that you remember in that <laughs> But, that, but I think yeah. that's what makes makes all of us a good coach is, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, right. I'm not going to go into a couple of stories, but we've all had those little things. No, no, no. I'm not letting that guy beat me. I'm not letting those teams beat me. There's no questions about that, you know, no matter what. Yeah. I think it's important for us to like, you know, some of like measure of our program, at least on the distance side has always been the University of Oregon. Um, Oregon State's never beaten Oregon ever in, in, in any meet. And when I first got here my first year, we were, we were dead last at the conference meet in cross country, yep. you know? So, um, 
Oregon was second at nationals that year. And here we are three years later, we're ranked ahead of them in cross country right now. You know, now that's a testament to the women that, that we have on this team, but it's really sweet at the same time. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of cool. <laughs> it means nothing. And I told our women, I said, you know, it doesn't mean anything. You know, we, we still got to get it done. We got to beat them, you know, and, um, you got to say, but that. you know, I, you know, I met, I met with, I met with Vin when I first got here, my first week here, I went and saw Vin and I met with him in his office and Vin said to me, what, what is, what is success for you in five years at Oregon state? What's your, what's, what's your measure of success? And I said, you're not going to like for me to say this, but I said, my measure of success is our women's cross country team makes it to the NCAA meet. Oregon is not winning the PAC 12 meet and track because we've created competition in recruiting that prevents you guys from winning and USC starts to win. And now we're like fifth or sixth at the conference meet but you guys can't win because you're starting to spend money on kids that you wouldn't normally spend money on. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I said, it's not necessarily a model against Oregon. It's just no. a measure for us to see if we can be successful. So um, I think we're kind of, we're making progress there. And I, th- I mean, I can go back to it. I think that that was gonna be when you started that conversation. I was like, you told Oregon you'd be or you'd want to be to Oregon. There's no questions about it. You know, you you know, you don't go to you go to Nova instead of going to Arkansas, and you want to give a middle finger to Arkansas, yeah. like stuff. Or you get humble, you say, you know what, I'm gonna be my dad. Your dad's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, forget that kind of <laughs> stuff. But it kind of fuels everything, every little thing that you do. And Oregon is the big bad Oregon. Oregon's got incredible stuff. They've got the barbershop. They've got the locker room. They've got everything like that. And you're sitting back as, no disrespect, please don't take this, but little sisters for the poor just chilling back, going, now we're Oregon State. They're like, no, 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 no. We're better than that. We can rock and roll. No questions about that. Um, I honestly, I'm not scared. I'm excited to see what you do in the next few years here really, really fast. And I've watched the program. I've definitely voted for you uh, on the high. I don't think, I think I put you about 18th. Um, I'll just tell you my vote. That's exactly what it is. Cause I think <laughs> an incredible talented team. I'm not the whole reason that you're 19th. There's a lot of other coaches that believe that you are doing a very, very special thing. So I want to thank you um, from all of us here on the, at the table uh, for spending, uh, spending your, your night with us. Uh, so coach, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, it's always good to have some, some track conversation, you know, we, we lose that social interaction during COVID. So, you know, I, every time I have someone like on the hook, I think I've become a really good recruiter or maybe, I, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I talk too much like in the recruiting process now, but every time I get a kid on the phone, I'm like, do you have, what, you have some time right now? Let's go. Let's, let's chop it up. You know? So um, no, I appreciate you guys uh, doing what you're doing. No, I appreciate that. We're glad you were uh, somebody who's taking a listen to the podcast. We appreciate that. Absolutely. As always. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you very much for, uh, spending uh, some time with us, <coughs> spending some time with us, allowing me to butcher a few names, but at the same time, uh, taking time out of your day, because I know we, we've got a lot of phenomenal podcasts that you can sit down and listen to. I know we're a top 40, 40 podcast in the country, but um, we truly appreciate you guys spending time with us. If you found value into this podcast, please, by all means, feel free to email any one of us, um, share it, retweet it, like it, comment on it, whatever the case might be in today's world social media without question and word of mouth even better is the most uh, best form of flattery, but at the same time, the best form of publication and marketing that you can ask for when it comes to any sort of um, 
know, we put a referral really when it comes down to it. So we thank everybody for spending your time with us. Uh, we look forward to doing uh, better next time and uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you all later. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.